Welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast, where you will hear transformational stories, positive encouragement, and practical strategies to help you grow your mindset, reach your potential, live your dreams, and experience a purpose-driven, impact-filled life. Here's your host, Alan Blaine. All right, this is Alan Blaine, and I am fired up to interview our special guest today, Victoria Robinson. Victoria Robinson is a national pro-life leader, author, and the founder of Reassemble, a nonprofit ministry which offers abortion education and after-abortion trauma recovery for both men and women. She travels extensively across the United States and abroad as an expert on pro-life issues and abortion trauma. She's the host of the Upper Room podcast, What's On My Mind?, She is the author also of They Lied to Us, a compilation from women who have had abortions and a second book called They Lied to Us Too, a compilation from men who participated in abortions. Victoria has four daughters, four sons-in-law, and 11 grandchildren, which is awesome. She resides here in Nashville, Tennessee, not far from Nicole and I. Victoria, welcome to the Life's Hard Succeed Anyway podcast. Are you ready for this? I'm ready. Thank you, Alan, for having me. Well, I am excited to have you on here and have this conversation. I'm so glad that we connected a while back and I've shared kind of a brief intro of who you are and what you do. But if you could just back up a little bit and share a little more of your background and how you came to be where you are today doing what you're doing. Okay. Introductions always make me so uncomfortable. And when <laughs> yeah. people ask me for my bio, I'm like, just say my name or I, it never, ever, ever makes me comfortable about that. But anyways, so I have been doing pro-life work for, gosh, this I think is around my 27th year. I'm in it right now. And prior to that, I volunteered at a pregnancy center because for 10 years, I was suffering from the effects of choosing abortion myself. I was a single mother with two little girls when my husband decided he didn't want to be married anymore. So he left all three of us. My youngest was only nine months old. And I had gone from not working at all, Alan, and being home with my kids and maybe working part-time here and there at a hospital emergency room to being a full-time 12, 14-hour-a-day mom working because he didn't send any support. So my life radically changed when my husband just decided I'm out, which came as a huge shock to me. When I was pregnant with my second daughter, he had tried to convince me then, have an abortion or I'm going to divorce you. And so it shouldn't have been that big a surprise when he left when she was nine months old. But I was so hopeful that things would turn around. So the day I was supposed to abort my second daughter, I couldn't go through with it. And he physically assaulted me, kicked me in the stomach, said that ought to do it, put me in the hospital because I started bleeding. I hate to be graphic, but that's what happened. And I confessed everything to the doctors. Remember, I worked at the emergency room. So for the first time, I was telling them the truth about this abusive relationship I was in. And the doctors did everything they could to save the pregnancy. I went into bed rest for seven days. I was determined to save my daughter's life. Of course, at the time, I didn't know she was a girl. And my husband left. He left me there alone to fend for myself, crawling to the bathroom, crawling to the kitchen to go into the refrigerator to feed myself for a week. I was so sure I had to save this baby. And 
we ended up getting divorced. As I said, he left when she was nine months old and then we ended up divorced. I was devastated. Even though that was an abusive relationship, I never wanted to be divorced. I came from divorce. I didn't want my own children to come from divorce. I knew that it was traumatic and it wrecked me when my dad left when I was 10 years old. So I just wanted something different for my kids. So probably why I put up with so much from him. Mm. And he knew that that was my mindset. So he took advantage of it. So there I was a single mom with two girls. My self-esteem was shot to pieces. When your husband says, I don't want you anymore, can't stand you and never wanted to marry you in the first place. And he goes from North Carolina to California and leaves you without any support, not visiting the children, nothing. I was lost. I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I thought, oh my gosh, this is what my dad did. He left because I wasn't worthy to be loved. He left because no man wants me. And, and I'm painting you a picture of where I was at that time. I was in a very, very dark place. So I met a guy at one of my two jobs and I fell madly in love with him. He said all the right things and he really seemed to love me. And then nine months later, we were pregnant. I was pretty much devastated again because I could barely take care of the two little girls that I had at home. They were in daycare 12 hours a day. And it was heartbreaking to me that they were grabbing my legs, begging me not to leave them again, but I had no choice. And so I told him we were pregnant, thinking he would say, well, let's just get married earlier. We talked about having our own children one day. He always told me how much he loved me and vice versa. And the first thing he said was, I think you know what you need to do. And I honestly didn't know what he's talking about, Alan. That was the first time an abortion, that word ever entered into the vocabulary of my own life. I knew what an abortion was. I had friends who'd had abortions. I had one who'd had seven, used it as birth control. It ended our friendship because I was so disgusted by that. But now here I was a single mom, no support from my ex-husband and it was easy to manipulate me into believing it was the best choice. So my boyfriend who I thought loved me is telling me this. The abortion clinic in Charlotte, North Carolina is telling me the same thing. She actually said to me, you'd be a really selfish mother to bring another mouth to feed when you can barely take care of the two you have. Wow. Just asinine now when I remember the things she said. But they're so trained, Alan, to say what they need to say to convince you this is the best choice because it's a multi-billion dollar industry. So I bought into it. I believed there was nothing there but a blob of tissue, clump of cells. I believed this couldn't affect me in any way like she promised me it wouldn't because I was so early. And I believed my boyfriend when he said, I love you, we'll have children and get married later. So I did it on a Saturday morning. I drove myself to an abortion clinic, hired a babysitter. My boyfriend was out of town, told no one which I always tell girls, if you're not willing to tell a best friend, your sister or your mother something you're about to do, that's called a clue. And the whole time driving to the abortion clinic, I had my hand on my stomach, Alan, begging this blob of tissue for forgiveness for what I was about to do. And the woman I was who walked in that abortion center was not the same one who walked out. It radically changed my life. The relationship with my boyfriend ended nine out of 10 times when there's a traumatic experience like abortion. Couples can't stay together. It's too much of a reminder of what you've done. So I lost my boyfriend, who I loved very much. I lost my baby. I lost my self-esteem. Once again, all those feelings of unworthiness were piled up on me. And 
I began to loathe myself. So that started me on the road to destruction, getting involved in relationships I shouldn't have. At approximately what age? I was 22. Okay. I was 16 when I married him, Alan. I wasn't pregnant. I was just a naive, stupid little girl who came from a broken home who just all I longed for was family and a home and to build my family that I never had. You know, that mindset, which is why I married someone when I'm 16 and he was 19. So now I'm 22 and have just had an abortion. My husband is gone. My boyfriend and I have broken up now and I thought my life was over. So for 10 years, I lived in that guilt and shame until I got help. I finally asked for help at an actual pregnancy resource center. I went to the director and said, I had an abortion. I've never told anybody, help me. And she got me in abortion trauma recovery. It radically changed my life. I told the two facilitators that took me through the process for three and a half days, this intensive retreat. Every woman needs to know about this. I need you to teach me how to do what you just did for me so I can do it for others. And that was 26 years ago. Wow. Well, I just did some math on your age, but that's awesome. You look amazing for your age, by the way. 59, 59 last month. I love it. <laughs> we have good genetics. You know, people are always asking me, how do you look? And they ask, I don't yeah. say it. How do you look like that? You have 11 grandkids. My oldest daughter's 41 years old. And I say, you know, I take care of myself. Right. Skin care, all of that. But it's also genetics. I have a very young looking mother who's 79 and a very young looking grandmother who's 99. So wow. I have to give credit to genetics. And it's wow. also Jesus. I mean, I, yes. I am a follower of Christ and he keeps me happy. <laughs> I love it. That's a big key there too, genetics and Jesus. That's a good book title. <laughs> there you go. And when, when we first got connected and I was looking on social media, I, I thought I had the wrong person because I'm like, no, that's, I don't think she's a grandma of however <laughs> many 11 or whatever. But anyway, I do want to go deeper into your past and the challenges and the struggles and all that. But before we do, let's just touch on like what you're doing today. Let's kind of fast forward to today. I shared with our listeners that you are the founder of Reassemble, that nonprofit ministry that's, you know, I guess doing education and abortion recovery. And that's something you experienced. You just said that at age 32, right? So you're obviously passionate about it, but can you just tell us a little bit about what that's all about, what you're doing, your kind of your ministry there that takes up, I'm sure, a majority of your waking hours? I would love to. And anyone who's interested in finding out more, please go to my website, reassemblelife.com. I've been doing abortion trauma recovery for all these years because I saw what it did for me. When I got there on that Thursday night, Alan, I looked at the two facilitators and I said, how are you going to help me? As I was talking about earlier, there was no way I thought they could help me in three and a half days because 10 years for a decade, basically, I was living in the guilt and the shame and begging God and begging God. I was saying yes to everything at a church that I started going to, thinking if I do that enough, then God will forgive me. Then I can live a normal life. But in three and a half days when my life was transformed, I knew I had to share that with other women who'd had abortions so that they didn't think my life is over. God can still use you. God can redeem you because the therapy is so intense. So I have been a CEO of Pregnancy Resource Centers. That's when my career started. I started as a volunteer at that same center that I asked for help, ended up seven years later becoming the CEO of that center. 
Then I went to another center and then another center here in the Nashville area. For seven years, I was their CEO, opened a second location. And then several years ago, the Lord spoke to my heart and said, your season here is up. Now, in the back of my mind, I always knew somehow I would be involved in abortion trauma recovery and education, meaning educating the public on how an abortion devastates men and women. It's not just the child that's ripped to pieces. It's also these parents who choose. That's what people don't want to talk about. That's what the abortion industry doesn't want to talk about because then the gig is up. If people understand what happens to a woman who chooses abortion and to the father who participates, they know it's going to hurt business and it's a multi-billion dollar business. So in the last 10 years, I knew I was going to do this, but the last few is when Reassemble just started evolving. And the first thing I needed to do was figure out the name. And I was with my best friend, Valerie. We were at dinner and I was telling her, Val, we, I've got to come up with the right, it's got to be the right name. And we just started talking. All right, Vic, what is it you want to accomplish? What is it you want to do for people? And I said, Val, they're in pieces, just like I was. These people are in pieces and nobody even knows it. They wear the mask. They're inside dying, but they've got to pretend. And they're all over the floor. So we started coming up with words and that's how Reassemble, the name came together. Reassemble.com wasn't available, but ReassembleLife.com was. It still made sense because we are reassembling people's lives back together. Yes, the scars are there, just like if you see a puzzle piece with all the pieces, but they become whole again. And so Reassemble has been helping people for decades. It was just under a different name. And these are three and a half day retreats that start on Thursday evenings and end on Sunday. I'm doing them all over the country. I'm booked for the rest of this year and every retreat is full. I'm already booking into 2024. I have a waiting lists of people waiting because Alan, there are a lot of people hurting. And I know we're going to talk about men. So I'll wait in, until, you know, we go to that question. But we've got to talk about the men as well, because I'm getting ready to do my very first men's reassemble retreat in August here in the Nashville area. And it's full. Wow. If that doesn't show the need that's out there of how far these are booking out. I remember seeing that on your website of how far out it was booked out. It's just, it's phenomenal. Before we come back to more talking about the challenges and diving a little deeper into this, you've obviously had a lot of success since being in a really deep, dark place and all the way up to 32 and starting to get some help 26 years ago, I think you said. What has been the key to your success over the last 26 years? Because you've obviously had a lot of success. You're impacting a lot of lives, doing great things. You know, you're CEO of multiple companies. You've got your own nonprofit that you're running. What would you say if I asked you a key to your success that others can learn from who've also they're going through their challenges and they've been through their challenges and you know, you're living proof that you can succeed anyway. Yeah. Don't quit. Honestly, I've wanted to quit a million times in these years. It's especially with my work, my line of work is so intense and it can be stressful. Or when I'm counseling a girl who's about to have an abortion and I think she's going to make the right choice, but then she chooses abortion and then calls me six months later, begging me to get her baby back. So I have those times, but then the success stories of when the girl will send me a text like Friday, thank you for saving my baby from abortion. I'm 38 weeks pregnant today because of that phone call with you. So 
it's never giving up. It's not quitting. That may seem cliche to some people, but it's the truth. It's keeping my eye on the prize. It's being about, for me, my father's business. You know, when I get depressed and I have my moments of, oh, gosh, Lord, let me get a job at a bank, then it's almost like I get this kiss from heaven of someone calling me or texting me or someone just smiling at me. And it lets me know, okay, Lord, I can go another day. If you're with me, I can do this another day, then another day. And then there's times when I can go months knowing I'm on the right track, but hey, I'm, I'm human. So there are those days, but over all of these years, I would say it's the little successes. It's not big, huge ones. It's the little ones that get you through the next one. So I'm like a bulldog. And all I have to do is go back to reading my journal, Alan, go back to remembering what happened. You know, the Bible talks about people. We look in the mirror, we walk away and forget what we just saw. I want to remind myself of what he did and what he used me to do, because I don't apologize that God uses me. I'm humbled that he would use a worm like me, but I also am not going to say, oh, woe is me. You know, I am very grateful and thankful that he's taken my tragedy and he's taken what the enemy meant to destroy me because he almost did. And he's turned it into good. So I don't have the right to quit. There's too many people that need the kind of help I can offer them. So who do I think I am to ever think? I don't feel like getting up today and doing what I do. Not that I'm trying to be a martyr here, but someone literally could be looking for that one thing that I can offer them that someone extended to me. I love it. I love that, Victoria. And we share that in common in completely different spaces and realms. But it's that passion that drives you to get out of bed and do what you do and not quit, even on the hard days. And like you said, there are hard days, no matter what anyone may make it look like on social media. There are hard days. We all have them. But when your vision is bigger than the challenge, you keep going. And I think that's what I'm hearing you saying. But I want to ask you, too, at 32, what was the aha moment, the, the breaking point? I don't even know what you'd call it, but what was the mind shift, the change? What happened to go 10 years of pain and go get help? Well, for the post-abortive woman, she feels she deserves all that pain. She feels she doesn't have the right to ask for help because we killed our children. God created women, Alan, to nurture, to give life. When a woman comes to the realization she actually ended her own child's life. It's devastating. And I was never one who was promiscuous or into drugs or alcohol or any of that. A lot of women do that because they want to feel something or they want to numb something. Mine was punishing myself, feeling like I don't deserve happiness. God could never allow me to be happy. So, you know, if I'm not happy in a marriage or it's not a good marriage, oh, so what? I deserve this. If I'm miserable in a job I'm doing, I deserve this. Remember, going back to my childhood, this is the lot in life that I have. So what happened to me at age 32, look, I don't know how many of your listeners are Christians or not, but for me, it was Jesus. I had an encounter with him at that same church that I was working, working, working that no one knew why. I said, yes, I'll clean the toilets. Yes, I'll do the nursery. Yes, I'll sing. Yes, yes, yes. They didn't realize what was behind my yes was, please, God, will this be enough for you now to love me again? And so I just continued in this cycle of destroying myself. And I wasn't living in freedom that we talk about as a Christian. And so Mary, that same director from the pregnancy center, 
attended my church. And she kept walking up to me saying, you're so good with the youth here. We really should get you to volunteer at our pregnancy center. I think you could make a huge difference. And I was like, sure, Mary, one day I will, you know, not in the back of my mind thinking this chick is nuts. There's no way that I am somebody that could be used to do anything good. And so then this woman came up to me and asked me for prayer at church. I was on the worship team. Nobody knew about my abortion. I'm up there singing, Alan, week after week, leading worship in a church of thousands of people as the lead worship leader, thinking, please don't let them know. Please don't let them know. Oh my gosh, Lord, if they knew they'd kick me off, they'd never let me sing. So this woman walks up to me and says, can you pray with me? I'm like, uh, okay. And she whispers in my ear that she had an abortion decades prior and she couldn't get over it. So in that moment, I prayed with her and I watched God change her. I watched before my eyes, him transform this woman. Her whole countenance changed. Well, I was angry. I was happy for her, but I was angry. So I went home and I had it out with Jesus, man. We had it out. It was some ugly words spoken. Mm. You know, people can judge me all they want, but he gets me. It was ugly. And I just felt in my spirit when I was crying out and screaming and fist to God saying, when are you going to give me what she got? Why did she get it? And you can't give it to me. And I just heard this still small voice say, I've been trying. And then I saw that woman, that director's face in my mind and realized all those three years she'd been trying to get me to come volunteer at the pregnancy center had nothing to do with God wanting to punish me. It was the door he was opening for my healing. It was just me being sick and tired of being sick and tired, but it was also him reaching down from heaven when I was drowning and pulling me up when I was saying, I'm done, just take me home. I don't wanna be here anymore. And it just took him rescuing me. And that's what it happened with me. You know, people talk about, they heard a voice. I didn't hear some loud audible voice. It was just a series of things that happened because he knew how deep in despair that I was. And I loved, loved my children. I didn't want to ever kill myself or anything, but I was not whole. I knew I wasn't the kind of mom I wanted to be because I was so broken. What would you say to somebody? Surely we have listeners that have been through an abortion at this point in their life that are listening to this episode. I've just got to ask before we go on, what, what do you say to them? Because I could only imagine how they may be feeling even just listening to this right now and all the reminders and the pain that they may be feeling. I would say, first of all, I'm so sorry for your loss. And I would say, I know how you feel. I felt the same way, but here's what I found out. There is no sin that will separate you from God. And every life can be redeemed, including a woman who's had an abortion. I would say find someone you trust to talk to. Find your local pregnancy resource center. Start with them. They're strangers, so it'll be easier to talk to them. Get in touch with me. I'm on phone calls every day with women who've had abortions who just want to talk to me on the phone, and I'm the first person they've told. And here's what they always say to me, Alan, at the end of our call. I can't believe I'm saying this, but I already feel better just talking about this. I bet. Because they've buried it for so long. Burying our pain is not going to heal us. So that is what the enemy of our soul wants us to believe because he can keep us in 
bondage. But when we go to someone who responds in the right way, that's why you don't just go to anybody. You know, don't go to one of these crazy, you know, you're a murderer if you've had an abortion, Christians, and they're out there because they've gotten in my face. And I just look at them and go, get behind me, Satan, you fool. So just don't go to that kind of person. Find your local pregnancy resource center first or find someone like me. We will not condemn or judge you. We're going to be there to help you. I love it. I love it. So good. Such great advice. And uh, your passion for really caring about people's hearts, not just pounding an agenda that other people might like to spin it as is really coming through in this interview very clearly. And I, I love your passion. It's, it's about helping and serving others and helping people that are in pain and also helping people avoid the pain if they have the opportunity. hundred percent. And that's why I won't ever stop counseling women who are considering abortion because I don't want them to walk where I've walked, but not all of them choose life. The majority will. If they get on the phone with me, they will choose life, but they don't all choose life. But I also want them to know whatever your choice, you've got my number because you're going to need me later. It's a matter of months or years. I can promise you, you're going to need the help I'm going to offer you later on. And if I condemned and judged them, which it's not my heart anyway, they would never come back to me. I always told my staff at the centers that I ran, if I catch any of you condemning or judging any of these women who are abortion vulnerable, you won't volunteer here or you won't work here because these women need to know we're a safe place to come back to, whether they go through with the pregnancy or they don't. That's a good word. Those organizations sound like they're blessed to have you. And I'm blessed that Tasha Ives introduced us and connected us a while back. So thank you for coming on the show and taking your valuable time to share your story and wisdom with our listeners and with me. I am curious, though, how you view your past challenges. I mean, in light of your success and all the lives you're impacting now, you're living a healthy, happy, free life today, what I would call a successful life. How do you view the past challenge now in the rearview mirror? You know, Alan, here's the thing that I say to people who want to use their childhood as a crutch. You can be a victim or a survivor of where you've come from, and I'm a survivor. My life story is not a Hallmark movie, that's for sure. I haven't even publicly spoke about majority of things I've been through in my life since I was a little girl. But my father, who was a raging alcoholic and he started drinking at seven years old, he had a really rough child himself. He was very abusive to my mother and we made peace before he passed, but he would take me with him and I'd be babysitting his mistress's kids in the living room while he's upstairs with her in the bedroom telling me you better not come up there with those kids. I mean, this was my my idea of men. And so there were a lot of reasons I can look back and see why I made some of the choices that I made, but also why I didn't make the choices that I didn't make as a mom and in the future. So I would say, yes, when I look back at that poor little girl, I would have loved for her to have had a better childhood than I did. But I also look at my daughters and see the husbands they've married. I'm single. They married men better than I ever did. And they made better choices than I've ever made. I should say that. And they have been better mothers than I was because I was parenting out of fear. I was parenting out of pain and heartbreak and trauma. So. When people say, gosh, how did you forgive this person for that or this husband for that or whatever, whatever, I always say that 
when I look at the fruit of my children, their husbands, their marriages, and my grandchildren, and they made better choices than me because of what I taught them from where I'd been. And they made better choices than I did because of the choices they saw me make. It would all be worth it. And I would have all done it again to see the fruit of that pain. I'd rather me have gone through it than them. Would I have liked that nice little family? Of course, who wouldn't? But I'm sure as heck, Alan, not going to make that my excuse for making poor choices today as an adult or in the last however many years. Or, oh, well, you know, I do this because my parents never bought me a bike or my parents did. Get over yourself. You know, you're here. They could have chosen abortion. Maybe they parented out of their own pain and trauma that you don't know about. But if we walk in unforgiveness and we walk in a victim mentality, good luck to you because you're not going to get anywhere. And those kinds of people are not people I'm going to spend a whole lot of time with. And sadly, there's plenty of those people. But I think what you're saying is we all have a choice. We have a choice to be a victim or a victor, regardless of what our past is. It's what we're going to do about it today. We can't stop some of the things that happened to us, but we certainly have a choice about how we react to the things that happened to us for sure. Yeah, exactly. Appreciate you sharing that. Now, I am curious because you mentioned your four children and their marriages and living more successful lives at the age they are today than you at that age or whatever. I'm a little confused because in your storyline, you said you had three, I think, when you went through a divorce. No, I had two. You had two. two. daughters. And then I remarried and had two more. So I have four daughters total. I had two daughters when my first husband, I've been married a couple of times. So I've been divorced now from their father for 16, 17 years now. So two daughters in the first marriage. He's the one who left. And then I had an abortion in between and then remarried. Okay. And then had two more daughters. And we were married for 18 years. Okay, got it. Let me ask you this. If you could go back in time and give your younger self some advice before all this went down, growing up the way you grew up, maybe even before you got married at 16 years old, let's go before that. What's one piece of advice you would give your younger self? I think I would look at her and say, give yourself a break. Don't be so hard on yourself. And then I would probably have to tell her, you may not have the earthly father you always wanted, but you have a heavenly father who thinks you're pretty spectacular. And probably so many more things that it'd be a whole nother show. (laughs) Right, exactly. I'm sure there's plenty. I know I'd (laughs) love to sit down with myself, you know, years ago and talk for hours. I just don't know if my younger self would sit and listen. Probably not. (laughs) Exactly. What advice, Victoria, would you give to someone who's maybe listening to this episode right now and they're in the midst of their challenge and it may not be facing an abortion or post-abortion. It may be 101 other things. Just in general, what advice would you give to that person? I'd start with don't give up. Go watch people that have tried to kill themselves that survived. And many of them are on record saying, when I was jumping off of that bridge on the way down, I thought, what have I done? I don't want to die. It's always going to get better. Life is not going to ever be perfect. Jesus never said it would be easy. He said he'd never leave us nor forsake us, but he never said it would be easy. And it's not. My life as a Christian is not easy just because I'm a Christian, but I have my faith. For me, it's my faith. If you don't have a faith, gosh, I don't know how anybody does it to be honest, Alan, without faith. I really don't. But I would say, don't give up. And when I have my days, I go to my prayer closet. I go, even if it's having it out with him again, 
but I just think about the people that I love. And I think about the people in my family who love me. And I just think, you know what? It's worth another day. I have a lot to look forward to. So there's always something to look forward to, even if there's nothing to look forward to. I love it. That's some great advice. Always something to look forward to. Just some kind of 30 second quick questions. Yeah. Winston Churchill. Don't quit. Don't give up. Don't ever give up. I'm picking up a theme. (laughs) (laughs) Listen, it's been my theme because it had to be. I mean, who doesn't want to always give up, especially in, like I said, my line of work. I had to have one that was good. Don't ever give up. So good. So good. So true. So applicable. What is one habit that you would say has been helpful to you in your success? Make your bed every day. That's infuriating to me. If you can't make your bed in the morning and put a shopping cart away, lose my number, man. I mean, I just don't, those are such simple things, but it's about discipline. And of course, for me, I have my time with the Lord every single morning. That's important to me, worship music and, and reading scripture, even if it's one scripture a day, because I'm busy or I don't have time to really get into the word, but journal. I mean, just make these things habits every day and they'll become part of your life and it'll change who you are. But start with making your bed. I love it. And why? Not that I haven't heard that advice before, but for our listeners that may not know why you're saying that, or maybe you're saying it for a whole nother reason. Why make your bed first thing? I'm saying it for me because it makes me feel like I've already accomplished something. And I like order. With most people who live in these places filled with messy houses and things everywhere, they wonder why they're stressed. Well, that's part of it. Clean up your house. So I make my bed. I look at it and go, oh, my room looks nice. It's ready for me tonight. It just gives me a sense of accomplishment. And it's, hey, I did one thing right today. If I don't do anything right, I made my bed nice. (laughs) You started the day off a winner from the get-go, right? In case you forgot, you're a winner. You're reminding yourself first thing in the morning, you're a winner. And I'm reminding myself, Alan, that I've done something I said I'm going to do every day. Even that one simple thing that I made a commitment to do years and years ago, when I heard about make your bed, fixing my bed, I'm like, you know, because when you get in the habit of doing something, you go, I can do this every day. I can do 50 sit-ups a day. I just have to do them. But I can do these things. I can drink more water a day. You just got to do them, make it a habit. And then you're going, this is second nature, like brushing your teeth. But we live in a society that's just fast food mentality. Everybody wants it right now. They don't want to work for anything. It's unfortunate. My dad may have been an alcoholic, but he made millions, lost millions several times. And the thing he instilled in me was good work ethic and not to be lazy. My dad would drink and be a drunk and pass out at three in the morning. But by gosh, at 6 a.m., he was up going to work. He just instilled. It was kind of bizarre, but there were things he taught me. He always would say, baby girl, money won't make you happy. Now, it's nice to have it. But if you marry for money, you're going to earn it. Find a job you love. You'll never work a day in your life. He would instill things that I didn't forget. And even a drunk who says Jesus is Lord is still telling the truth. (laughs) So true. So true. Oh, that's good. What is one of the best pieces of advice that somebody's ever given you? Probably like myself better. I don't struggle with this like I did when I was younger, but years and years ago, I was always trying to think I needed to do this better or wear these clothes or I had to make sure I looked a certain way. 
I go to the grocery store and I don't even care if I run into somebody and I have nothing on. Look, putting on a little bit of lipstick to do these interviews when I do these, I told a gal that was here today doing some work on my house. I said, oh, I got to put makeup on today. I'm doing a few interviews today. And she goes, you always say that when I'm here and you're about to. I said, I know, I, I just hate it. But before, oh my gosh, I, I wasn't one of those people that had to have lipstick and full on to go to the mailbox. That's never been me. But I thought I had to impress others. Now I have been delivered of that. So I'll never forget. And then a woman said to me, the same woman, Kathy, she said, Vic, one day God's going to use your voice to reach the nations for good because you have a bold personality that sometimes can come across back then and rub people the wrong way. But he's going to start articulating your words and helping you get polished. And that was about 30 years ago. I love it. Well, we have that in common too. Bold and can kind of be a little rough with my words and God's been and still is polishing me on that. And it's a work in yeah. progress. Look, Alan, if we ever say we've arrived, people should pray those lying demons out of us. We're never going to arrive. My goal is just to be better than I was yesterday. Make better choices in six months, a year than I did 10 years ago to continue making the best choices. So we're all works in progress. None of us ever is going to arrive till we're dead. And then we decide where we arrive in heaven or hell. <laughs> exactly. And, and I'm all about being a good steward of everything God's blessed me with. And one is my body. And like, you want to be healthy. I'm planning. I know God could take me tomorrow, but I'm planning to live to 120. So wow. at 51 years old, I have plenty of years to keep improving and learning and learning from yep. my mistakes and growing. So that's really exciting. You're not even halfway there yet. Alan. Not even halfway. Just It's just, it's an exciting way to live. Again, I'm okay if tomorrow's my last day, yep. but I'm just love living that way that I'm living for as long as God would have me live and serve and give. And I would hope and pray that my last 50 or 60 years is, I think it should be, I think our last half of our life should be more productive than the first half of our life, which is a little backwards from the world's philosophy and system. If of, it isn't, Alan, you've learned nothing. And right. that's the thing about me at 50, I just turned 59 very recently. And I'm literally going, oh my gosh, next year I'm going to be 60, the big 6-0. And I just think I have not ever liked myself better today than I did 30, 40 years ago, I feel sorry for that girl. I feel right. sorry for her that she was so broken and so convinced that she could never amount to anything or do something purposeful. But I like where I'm at. This is probably why I'm still single. I don't deal with stuff like I would have in the past. I'm not looking for a guy. I'm not looking at all. But when I date, it's an interview. And the thing for me is I'm going, God, your age, buddy, you should have more together than you do. I'm not looking for a guy that I've got to teach or that right. I've got to lead. I'm a woman. I'm a strong woman with an opinion, but I'm still a girl who wants a man to lead, not me. And unfortunately, those guys are few and far between these days. So it's better to be single than wish you were. That's a great point. I would have to agree with that. I normally would love to ask our guests like what book they might recommend, but I'd rather ask you. I know we were talking a little bit earlier about your book. Can you show us your book for those that can see the video? Sure. You've got They Lied to Us and They Lied to Us too, right? One for the women, one for the men. The Lied to Us has my full story in it. 
and okay. a lot of stories from other women who chose abortion, why they chose. I kept it under 100 pages because when I first wrote it, gosh, 17 years ago, it's now in its fifth print. When I first wrote it, it was to give it to girls who were considering abortion. I knew I had a window of opportunity for them to read true stories from women to make a better choice, or at least to be educated. They lied to us too as stories from men. And I know we don't have a lot of time left, but Alan, I got to say this. When I called the father of my aborted child, we broke up. When my first book, They Lied to Us, came out, even though I changed any identifying factors about him, I wanted him to know it was coming out. We hadn't spoken in 10 years. I had just gone through abortion recovery and I thought, okay, I'm in a good place. I called him up to tell him about the book, to reassure him, because we had a lot of same friends in common still. As soon as I said, hey, it's me, he started weeping. I couldn't understand what he was saying. When he finally composed mm -hmm. himself, he said, I've waited for this call for over a decade to beg you forgiveness for what I made you do. It's haunted me all these years. I've been in therapy for eight years dealing with it. Can you ever forgive me? I should have protected you. I should have protected our child. As I was saying earlier, God put instilled in women to nurture their children. It's not natural for women to kill their children. When a man participates in an abortion, it's not natural for him not to protect his children. God made men to protect their women, to protect their children. So he was crushed. I never knew that. I thought he went on with his life, forgot about me, forgot about what we'd done, our baby. So in that moment, two things happened. One, I forgave him and my healing was full circle. The second thing that I felt was, oh my gosh, I felt like the Lord spoke to my heart and said, don't forget these fathers. These children have fathers and they're hurting and you need to never not speak of them again. They need help too. Well, the, the second book took longer only because of time. I had so many men that wanted to be interviewed. They all changed their name because they all wanted to make sure that the woman they were talking about never knew. They were so kind, really. They said, I don't want her to know I'm telling our story. So change my name and change a few things about locations. They were very protective of her identity. Mm. So I'm doing, as I said, my first men's retreat that I've ever done. I've only done women's retreats, but two separate people two men said to me, you're missing it. You need to offer men the same help because you represent the women they hurt. And when you're bringing this to them and you're offering this help to them and you're walking them through this healing journey, it's part of their healing process. My mindset was, I'm not going to spend three and a half days with a bunch of men. I'm single. I'm not spending the night overnight at a retreat center with men. And I'm not doing that. I will stay off campus. I have two men who work with me who will stay on campus. I'll just lead the sessions. It is so full, Alan, that I got a call from a man in the last month saying, can I please come to your men's retreat in Nashville in August? I said, it's already full. He said, I'm begging you. I'll sleep on a sleeping bag. I'll bring a cot, whatever it takes. I'll sleep on the floor. My marriage is falling apart. I have to deal with this abortion from my past before I even met my wife. So I said, okay, we'll figure it out. Men are hurting too. So we cannot forget men. So if you're a man who suffered or participated in abortion, whether you drove her, talked her into it, manipulated her into this was the best choice, paid for it, or you didn't even know and find out till later, or you begged her not to do it. It doesn't matter. That was your baby. I'm sorry for your loss. You deserve to get help as well. This is not an issue just about women. Wow, that's so good, Victoria. 
what would you say is your definition of success now when you think about success? I think it's that I'm still here. I think it's that I haven't given up. I think I look at my daughters and who they've become. I look at my 11 grandchildren who adore their Mimi. That's success for me. My family, my work. I love it. And what, when you think about the future, what at this current time excites you the most? Or what's one of the top of mind things that's exciting you right now about the future, personally or professionally? Uh, Professionally, that reassemble continues to grow. That so many people have abortion, get abortion trauma recovery because I'm convinced it's a backdoor approach to ending abortion, no matter what the laws are. Healed people want to help people. Healed people will open their mouth. They won't be walking around with masking tape over their mouth because they can't speak about it. I want it to explode, whether not just reassemble. I'm training a lot more leaders to do these retreats because I can't do them all. This isn't just about me. I want it to explode, whether they're called reassemble retreats or not. I don't care. I just want to see one happening every weekend in this country and more and more. That's an army of millions of people out there. There have been 72 million abortions since Roe v. Wade in 1973, Alan. That's 146 million men and women who've had or participated in an abortion. 10% of those people would change the world. It would change the face of what abortion looks like. The truth needs to be told professionally. Reassemble gets lots of donors. I mean, we need all the help we can get. The more retreats I do, the more money it costs. I'd love to have somebody walk in and call me and say, listen, I want to sow this much money into your ministry so you don't have to be worrying about that part. You can just keep doing the parts that you love doing, which is education and counseling. That would be my dream. Personally, that I just continue on this journey with the Lord. I am very content being single, but I've never, ever been in a marriage that was healthy. I've never been loved as Christ loved the church. And when my friends who are married and in great marriages say to me, if my husband died or God forbid ever left or something happened in our marriage, I just stay alone like you, Vic. Why do you even think of one day you might be married again? Why would you care? Your life is great. And I'm like, but you have what I've never had. So I don't know if it'll be when I'm 80 years old. (laughs) I don't know when it'll be, but I'd like a little taste of what that looks like one day, but I'm also content. This is going to sound weird if it never happens. What a great position to be in. It really is. I'm so content with it just being me and my family and me and, and the Lord. And, but I'm also hopeful that, hmm, gosh, what if that really did happen one day? That'd be kind of cool. Yeah. Well, that's awesome. For anyone listening, as we start to wrap this up, Maybe it's your donor. Maybe it's someone that's heard your story and your passion and your heart to help people, which is what comes through so loud and clear. And they want to donate to your nonprofit. They want to support it. Maybe it's somebody, male or female, that has been through an abortion or considering an abortion. And they want to take you up on that offer and plug into your resources, conversations, whatever that is. Get some help, get some encouragement, get some advice. Or maybe just someone that wants to follow you along on the journey. How can people connect, contact you, follow along on your journey? Find me on social media. I'm on Facebook and I'm on Instagram. R Victoria Robinson on Instagram, Victoria Robinson on Facebook. I don't do Twitter anymore. Those are the only two social medias I do. I can't even keep up with those. Go to my website, reassemblelife.com. 
reach out to me there. You can email me through there. If you want to become a donor, we need monthly partners. That always helps. If you'd like to make a one-time gift and also become a monthly donor, that'd be awesome. If you'd like to underwrite a retreat, get in touch with me. If you have an Airbnb, if you have a bed and breakfast that you'd like to donate for one of our retreats, people are doing that all over the country, which is wonderful because that offsets a cost and you're blessing someone and it's a tax write-off for you. So maybe that's something. Maybe you want to donate an entire weekend, the food for the weekend, whatever the case is. We are in need right now of monthly donors, and that would help us to budget for what we can and can't do in the years to come. So reassemblelife.com. We'll be having our next fundraiser again in 2024. We just had one. It was a 70s party, had a 70s DJ. You had to come dress 70s. We had a blast. We're going to be doing that again this coming year. Haven't set the date yet, but it'll probably be around March like we did this year. So just stay in touch with me. You can reach me through the website or through social media. Perfect. And any closing comment that you might want to leave with all of our listeners today? I would say if you're post-abortive, again, I'm so sorry for your loss. There is help for you. You don't have to live another day in that shame and in that guilt and feeling like your life is over. or You're the most horrible person on the planet because you're not. You're not alone. I've been there. I get it. Please get in touch with me or your local pregnancy resource center. Don't wait another day. You do not need to be crippled by your abortion. If you're someone who wants to get involved, again, I direct you to your local pregnancy resource centers. They're doing so much good. They are on the front lines. You could volunteer there. Get involved in another nonprofit you're passionate about, but get passionate about something because when we stand for nothing, we'll fall for anything. I love it. And for all of you that are listening, please, if you know anybody that could be encouraged or would be encouraged by this episode, share this episode, share it, post it, however you need to get it out. Like Victoria talked about, there's millions, literally millions of hurting people out there and they need to hear this message. I believe Victoria, thank you so, so much for taking your time to come on here and share your wisdom and experience with us. It's been great. Thank you, Alan. Thanks for having me anytime. If you love this podcast, grab some of Alan's free resources on his website at alanblain.com, spelled A-L-L-A-N-B-L-A-I-N.com. You can also find links to Alan's Facebook, Instagram, and TikTok there in his contacts page. Lastly, if you can leave a five-star review for us on your favorite podcast app, that will get these messages out to more people and it will really mean the world to us. Thanks in advance and make it a great day.